Hey everybody, this is Keith Loy. I'm the founding senior pastor of Celebrate Church in Sioux Falls, South Dakota, and this is our podcast. I just want to say thank you for joining us, and it is my prayer that this week's message will truly encourage you. Enjoy. Well, good morning, Celebrate. And welcome to this series called God's Amazing Promises. And those of you online, so glad you're with us. I'm so thankful for Pastor Keith, his vision for this series, his leadership to us as a pastor, to myself as a personal friend, and so grateful that he's humble and humble that he's offering, allowing me to open God's word with you today. If you have your Bibles, would you open up to Deuteronomy 28? Deuteronomy is the fifth book of the Bible. So if you start at the beginning, go five books in, you'll get to Deuteronomy. While you're doing that, I want to state this, that we believe that every answer in life is found in the Bible. Every answer that you need for your marriage, for your family, it's in the Bible. On how to live life, how to think, how to conduct yourself, it's in the Bible. But we also believe this, that you're the only Bible that many people will ever read. And so can I encourage you, rather than just saying, hey, invite someone to church, can I encourage you this? Go be the church. Be the Bible. Love them unconditionally where they're at. And then in that relationship, then bring them with you into God's family. And we're going to see God do amazing things. Well, if you remember a few months ago, Pastor Brian preached, did a great job. But if you remember when he did that, he actually showed some pictures of his grandchildren. Okay, I don't know if you remember that or not. And if we can just be honest, they're okay looking. I mean, they're certainly not as spectacular and brilliant and handsome as our grandkids are. Cindy and I have four grandchildren, six months to nine years. She is Nana. I am Papa. Now, Cindy's already thinking ahead. She's already told me that when we have great-grandchildren, she wants to be called Gigi for great-grandma, okay? And I'm okay with that. I'm okay with that. But what bothers me, does that mean I have to be pee-pee? Because that's, that's just not right. That, there's something wrong with that. And so if you'd pray for us in, in that scenario. You know, one of the things I love about being a papa is when the grandchildren go, Papa, do you promise now, by being a response to the fact that we're in a swimming pool, and I, I'm in there, I say, here, jump in, I'll catch you. And they say, Papa, do you promise? I go, yeah, I promise. Or it might be the statement of, hey, how about tomorrow we go get donuts? And they go, Papa, do you promise? Yeah, I promise. See, I want them to know this. Whatever Papa promises, they can bank on it. They can trust their Papa's promises. We live in a world where all kinds of promises are made. When you were little as a kid, maybe you made the pinky promise. Any of you do that one? Made the pinky promise, absolutely. You get older and maybe it's at a wedding ceremony and you're with someone and the couple, they promise to each other in front of other people as well. We live in a world where in the world of politics, all kinds of promises are made and we hear those. And yet, unfortunately today, a statement that I think is actually unfortunately true, it says that promises are like pie crusts, easily made and easily broken. And so you and I live in a world where a lot of promises have been made, maybe even to you, and they were broken. And then we come to God and his word. The word promise is in the Bible a lot. In fact, a scholar actually did a study and he counted, he counted 8,810 promises in the Bible for you and I. Now think about that. That is a lot of promises. And what God wants us to understand is that God is a promise-making and promise-keeping Papa. You can trust your heavenly Papa. You can trust his promises. 
When I look around the world, I don't know if you see what I see, I see a lot of people that, man, are worried about a lot of stuff. Do you see that at all? Man, I see that all over the place. Why, why would people be worried? You know why? They don't know the promises of their papa, and they don't trust him. And so in this series, what we're going to do each week, we're going to take a look at a different set of God's promises to you and I. Promises such as forgiveness, guidance, blessing, heaven, and so forth. And it's a series that I believe this, you can't afford to miss. So let me do this. Let me just pray over God's word right now. And I'm going to say, Father, Papa, this is your word. It's not mine. These are your promises. God, help us to hear them, understand them, but apply them and trust you. You are a good Papa. Amen. Before we jump into the promise we're going to talk about today, I want to try to lay a little bit of a foundation for this whole series and help you understand kind of three fundamental facts about God's promises that are true in all the topics that we're going to talk about. If you have a piece of paper, I encourage you to write a few of these things down. The first one is this. God wants me to build my life on his promises. Would you say that with me? God wants me to build my life on his promises. How many of you ever remember a commercial in might still be running here, where Ford trucks, and they say that this is a Ford tough truck. Any of you remember that at all? Well, God's word is Lord tough. He wants us to build our life on his promises. And, and here's a reality. Your and my life have been built on promises of someone. Maybe a, a company promised that if you would do this and that and work X amount of length of time for them, that you would receive this, and maybe that company's not even in existence today. Or maybe an education firm or institution promised, if you get this degree, okay, and if you invest in your education, get this degree, then all these doors will open up to you, and maybe that's happened, or maybe you have a lot of education debt, and you're doing something totally unrelated to your degree today. Or maybe you stood in an altar and someone promised till death do you part and that person is gone today. Or social media, maybe they said, hey, if you get this and, and buy this and, and look this way, then this will happen for you. Well, the reality is this. God's promises, we can build our life on it. He wants us to understand that. That's a fact. Here's a second fact. There are two kinds of promises in the Bible. How many? Two. Now, of the 8,810 promises total, they all fall into two categories. First category, unconditional. Unconditional, which simply means this. It's free. There's nothing we have to do for it at all. Okay? It's going to happen no matter what. Uh, example, Jesus said, I'm coming back. We're called that, we call that the second coming. How many know that there's nothing <laughs> you can do that's going to stop that? It is just, it's going to happen. Okay, it's an unconditional promise. God made an unconditional promise that he would never destroy the earth again after the flood. Noah, that's an unconditional promise. Great, that's one of the promises. But there's a second promise that most people don't understand and really kind of, I think, puts him sideways with God, and that is conditional promises. Conditional promises. That's a promise with a premise. It says this. God says, if you will blank, I will blank. It's conditional based on our response. If, if you ask the average person, are the majority of the 8,810 promises, are they conditional or unconditional, what do you think most people would say? Most people think unconditional. Uh-uh. Majority of God's promises are conditional. If you, God will. Let me give you an example. 
Let's say you told somebody today, hey, listen, if you want to come to the house tonight, I'll make homemade pizza. We'll watch the game together, football game together. Okay, great. Is that unconditional promise or conditional? It's conditional, okay? Now let's say your friend didn't come over, but later the week you saw your friend and your friend said, what's up? I thought we were going to have pizza. Well, dude, I said if you came over, then I'd make homemade pizza. No, you said you just made me pizza. No, I said... And see, there's a mix-up. And a lot of times people think that God has made an unconditional promise when the reality is, no, 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 it's conditional. For example, God has promised he will give you the desires of your heart. But if, if you delight in him. Let's ask this one. Forgiveness, grace. Unconditional or conditional? Conditional. If you confess your sins... If you repent of your sins, then I will forgive you. And see, we live in a world where people make the statement, well, how could a loving God... Well, wait, wait, wait. That's conditional promise. Does that make sense? And that's what you and I have to understand in this journey. The other thing I think that is a little sideways for some people is they think that all of God's promises are blessings. Okay? If you're a parent and you have a teenager that just got their driver's license, and they said, hey, mom, dad, can I borrow the car? Can I use the car tonight? And you go, yes, you can. Now, you have to be back at 11 o'clock, and if you're not back on time, then you won't have the car for the next month. Is that conditional or unconditional? Conditional. Is that a blessing? No, no. That's a, that's a promise with a, not a blessing on the other end of it. And parents, you understand that. I say it because sometimes things happen in life and people go, well, how come God is, what's this? Well, wait, wait, wait. God made a promise, but there's two sides of it. There's a blessing side. There's a curse side. And that's why I want us to look at Deuteronomy 28. I I wish every follower of Jesus would read this chapter, this one chapter, once a month. It would change their thought process. This is from the New International Version. Moses is talking on behalf of God. He's talking to the Israelite people. Here it is in verse 1. I'm not, it's not going to be on the screens. I will encourage you, bring your Bible. First word. What's the first word? If. Is that unconditional or conditional? Conditional. If. If you fully obey the Lord your God and carefully follow all of his commands I give you today, the Lord God will. See, there it is. If you, then God. The Lord God will set you high above all the nations on earth. All these blessings will come upon you and accompany you if you obey the Lord your God. And then the next 13 verses are blessings. We're not going to read them all, but man, highlight a couple of them. Look at verse 3. You'll be blessed in the city and in the country. Verse 6, you'll be blessed when you come in and blessed when you go out. Verse 8, the Lord will send a blessing on your barns and on everything you put your hand to. How many of you want God to bless everything you put your hand to, including homework? Absolutely. God promises he will. He will. What's the condition? If. If you obey. But his promises are not just blessings. Look at verse 15. However, what's the next word? If you do not obey the Lord your God and do not carefully follow all of his commands and decrees I'm giving you today, then all these curses will come upon you and overtake you. We're not going to read it, but think about this. How many verses of blessing did I say? Do you remember? 13 verses of blessings, 53 verses of curses. 
You should read them. They are conditional promises of God. See, God wants us to build our life on his promises. They're unconditional and conditional both. Here's the third fact, though. God has two reasons for making promises to you and I. Two reasons. The first one is to teach us to trust him. God wants us to trust him. Here's how it says in Psalm 119. When I'm hurting, I find comfort in your promises that lead to life. If everything was great in life, everything was perfect in life, do you think you'd trust God as much? Human nature, no, no. But when it's hopeless, you hold on to hope, promises that he's given. It's the number one question God continues to ask me all the time. God has one question for me all the time. Reed, do you trust me? Another way of saying it is, am I enough for you, Reed, or do you need all this other stuff too? Reed, do you trust me even when you don't receive what you prayed for or you didn't get it the way you thought or in the timing you wanted? Do you still trust me, Reed? All throughout the Bible, it's what he asked. David, do you still trust the promise I gave you that I've anointed you even though right now you're in a cave and they're trying to kill you? Do you still trust me? Joseph, do you still trust me on the dream that I gave to you, even though right now you're in prison and you're forgotten and no one even knows, and your brothers don't even think you're alive yet? Do you still trust me? Moses, do you still trust me with the promise I gave, even though right now all you see is a wilderness? Do you still trust me? See, he wants to teach us to trust him, but here's the second thing. He wants us to make us more like him. The reason God gives us a promise, he wants us to be like him. God's number one goal for you and I in everything that he does to us, through us, for us, anything around us, is to make us in the image of his son, Jesus. When he looks at you, he sees his son, and he wants to create you more in the image of his son. It's interesting. I have the chance to do weddings here and then and did a wedding for a couple a couple weeks ago. And whenever I do a wedding, I always say this. The husband and wife are right here, and they're all excited about everything. I said, you know, I said, this is a gift that God has given you, the gift of marriage. There's three great gifts, gift of life, gift of eternal life, and the gift of marriage. But where we get sideways as humans is we think that the gift is so that we can be happy. And I always tell them, and you will for the first week. Be very happy. Not after that. Because you're married to a totally different person. So if, it's, if the gift is not for us to be happy, why did God give us the gift of marriage? For us to be holy like his son Jesus. I think here's what God did. What do I have to do for Reed to make him like Jesus? I know it. I'm going to give him a heart for Cindy, and I'm going to force him to understand what it means to be total forgiving, total loving, total sacrifice, total everything like Jesus. And that's why he gave us a gift, to be like him. Here's what 2 Peter 1 says. God has made great and marvelous promises so that his nature would become part of us. We are human beings, but we are spiritual beings, and God wants to fill us with his spirit, and he does that through his promises. The more we trust in God's promises, the more it changes our life. That's why you can trust your papa. So with that as a background, let's talk about today's topic of promises. And I could give you a quiz, and I'd be curious if how many of you would pass it, because this set of promises has more promises in the Bible than any of other God's set of promises. I wonder if you guess which one it is. Some people might say faith, nope. Love, nope. Forgiveness, nope. 
prayer? No. By far, more promises than any other. You know what it is? Generosity. Giving. Now, it shouldn't surprise us because that's who God is. How many believe that God's a giver of good gifts? Absolutely. He's a generous God. Everything you and I have is a gift from him, and he is a generous God. He wants us to be generous as well. In fact, John 1 says this, we live off of his generous bounty, gift after gift after gift. Everything's a gift. In fact, do this. Do this. Ready? Take a deep breath in. Hold it. Let it go. That was a gift God just gave you. Look at your fingers. Just look at your fingers. They're a gift to you. Do this. Turn to the person beside you and just smile. Show teeth. Don't take them out. Just show them, though. Just show teeth to the person. That's a gift. Everything God has given us is a gift. Many times, at least, I'll try to do this often each week. When I walk and just pray, I just thank God for every body part I can think of. Think about this. When's the last time you thought you thank God for your gallbladder? <laughs> think about it. I try to think of every part of my body I can be thankful for because how many know it could be taken away? Absolutely, in every aspect of life. I love, I love, I love that Pastor Keith asked us to look at this one first because you know what I find? It's the hardest one for most people, especially in the area of being generous about money. <laughs> Here's our thought. We think our problem, as humans, we think our problem is that we don't make enough. That's what we think our problem is, not our problem. Can I tell you what our problem is as human beings? I'm in it. Our problem is this. We think we own it. That, that's what we think. Uh, the, the car, the car, your car, your, your pickup, your motorcycle, whatever is out there. You think it's yours. <laughs> you do. You think it's yours. Where, where are you going to go later today after the service? Home, apartment, whatever else? You think it's yours. That's what you think. Your bank accounts. You think they're yours. These little things that run around that have two legs in your house, they're called children. You think they're yours? Uh, well, unless they do something bad, then they're your spouses. They're your spouses' kids. We play that game, right? We think it's ours. We think we own it. We own nothing at all. It's all God's. I tell God all the time, car, it's yours. House, yours. Cindy's yours. Kids, grandkids, yours. This body, yours. Anything. It's all yours. All I am is a landholder. That's all I am. I'm just, a, I'm just a, a loan. You've loaned it to me. I'm going to hold it for a moment in time. See, we think it's ours. Let me ask you this. I don't mean to be inappropriate, and I don't want to embarrass anybody, but how many of you were naked when you were born? <laughs> see your hands. You weren't? Wow. I'd like to talk to you later about that if I could. So, so you were naked when you were born, okay? When you and I were die, when you and I die, the last thing before we either are getting ready to be buried or cremated, we're naked. We bring nothing in. We take nothing out. And yet in that little span called life, we do this. And we think 
We own it. Isn't that crazy? I, I tell my wife all the time, babe, understand. Our kids, uh-uh. Man, all the kids will want this. Nope. Everything that we own is going to go into one of three G's at some point in your life. The garbage, garage sale, goodwill. That's where it's going. See, when you think you own it, you have control of it. In fact, let me ask you this one. Are you generous if it's not yours? Sure you are. If, if, if I gave you 10 $100 bills today, okay, and I said, here's the deal. I want you to bless 10 people this week with a $100 bill I'm giving to you. If you have any left over at next week, just give it back. Would you have any problem giving those $1,000 bills away? No, why? It's not yours. You have no problem giving somebody else's money away, right? Uh, the government doesn't either. Just understand that. It's the thought. But if you and I aren't generous, it's because we still think it's ours. No, it's all God's. That's why God says, be generous. It's not yours. I've asked you to be generous with what's mine. Make sense? So take your Bible, and I want you to open up to a different passage. Malachi. Malachi is the last book of the Old Testament. So go to Matthew, and then just turn a couple pages back. Malachi chapter 3. And we're going to look at something that God says that is very clear to understanding the promises God is making about being generous. Okay, Malachi 3, again I'm reading out of the New International Version, verse 8. Here we go. Will a mere mortal rob God? Yet you rob me. Whoa, 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 whoa. That's who. God's accusing those people of robbing him. But you ask, how are we robbing you? In tithes and offerings. Okay, just put that on pause for a second. I need to teach you something here because a lot of people get confused. In tithes and offerings, two totally different things. People think they're the same. People think, well, if I give a gift of an offering, it's a tithe. tithe. No, two separate things. Here's what it is. A tithe throughout the Bible, first 10%. First 10% of anything that comes in is a tithe to be brought back to God because it's his money. It's not mine. It's his. He allowed me to make this money through a job, the gift of working that he gave me. And of the 100%, he says, I want 10% back. It's mine. Read, I let you keep 90%. It's a good deal. The first 10% comes back. That's tithe. Offering is anything above and beyond that. Anything beyond that, 10%, is a tithe. So my kids went to Sioux Falls Christian, middle, high, senior, high year. When we gave to Sioux Falls Christian, was it a tithe? Was it an offering? No, it was tuition. That's a bill. But we gave 10%, the first 10%, bam. First time, everything that comes, whenever a paycheck comes in, bam, first 10%. If you get a gift of money, the first 10% goes. Because that goes back to God to the church to the church where you are being fed, to the God's storehouse. An offering is beyond that. So Cindy and I, first 10%, boom, to the church instantly. But then we gave, at the end of the year, an offering to Sioux Falls Christian outside of tuition because we wanted to bless them as well. God says, I demand the tithe. And he says, if you don't tithe, 
10%, you're robbing me. Okay? Just want to make sure you understand that. So here we go. How are we robbing you? In tithes and offerings. You are under a what? Think about that. It's a promise. When you don't obey God, you now are under a curse. You and your whole nation because you are robbing me. Bring the whole tithe, not 1%, 2%, 3%, 4%. 10%, bring the whole tithe into the storehouse where there may be food in my house. Test me in this way, says the Lord God Almighty. See if I will not throw open the floodgates of heaven and pour out so much blessing that there will be not enough room to store it. I will prevent pests from devouring your crops and the vines for your fields will not drive their fruit before it's ripe, says the Lord God Almighty. Then all the nations will call you blessed for yours will be a delightful land, says the Lord Almighty. There are three things that God promises when you trust him in generosity. Here they are. Let's walk through them quickly. When you trust your papa, here's the first promise. God's promise will happen to me and to generations after me. Say that with me, would you? God's promises will happen to me and to generations after me. Look what Psalm 112 says. Good will come to him who is generous. Solomon said this in Proverbs 22. Generous people will be what? It's a promise. C.S. Lewis, a great theologian and writer, said this. When we are in God, there's no hunger that needs to be filled. Only a plentiness wrapped up in a desire to give. Now, one of the famous verses is in Luke 6, and I want us to read this one together. Okay, Luke 6, you'll see on the screen, verse 38. Read it out loud with me, would you please? Here we go. Give and you will receive. Your gift will return to you in full. Press down, shaken together to make room for more, running over and poured onto your lap. The amount you give will determine the amount you get back. Read the last sentence again. The amount you give will determine the amount you get back. Did you catch that? That's what God's word says. Cindy and I are at our previous house. We had a wood fireplace. Any of you have a wood fireplace at all? You know, it, 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 obviously, if you look at the wood fireplace, if you want to get heat, you put wood in. What comes first, wood or heat? Duh. If I, if I stood in front of the fireplace and said, mm, as soon as you give me heat, I'll throw in some wood. <laughs> I mean, you go, read, you're a moron. I go, I know, I know, okay. No, you put in wood first, heat comes secondary. If I want more heat, what do I do? I put more wood in. The amount of wood determines the amount of heat in our life. Yet it's interesting I hear people do this to God. Uh-uh, as soon as you, then I will. Uh-uh, uh-uh. No way, you don't do that with God. Not at all. Proverbs 11 says it this way. A generous man will prosper, and he who refreshes others will himself be refreshed. Does God need your money. No. So why does God, if God doesn't need your money, why does God say, I demand a tithe? You know why? God doesn't need your money. You need God's blessing. And he cannot bless when you're disobedient. He can't. He has to release a promise on the other end of a curse. I want to be on the blessing side. See, God promises are not just for you, but they are also generational that's a key understanding. What you and I do today will return to children, grandchildren, great children down the road. It's interesting how many times in the Old Testament you'll read that God said, I'm going to fulfill this promise, not because of you, because of what I said to Abraham, Isaac, Jacob. In fact, 
Exodus 2 says this, God heard their groaning and he remembered his covenant promise to Abraham, Isaac, and Jacob. Look at this one, Psalm 37. The godly are always generous and who will be blessed? Their children. doesn't say they'll be blessed, their children will be blessed. The bank that I bank at has multiple locations, probably like yours. So if I make a deposit in the main branch here, can I go over here and withdraw it from another branch? Of course. Of course you can. That's how it works. Same way with God. What you deposit in obedience in your life to God's promises and God's word in your life will be withdrawn down the road in your children and your grandchildren and your great-grandchildren if you're obedient to God's promise. Here's the second thing that God promises. He promises that he will bless my work and give me joy. He'll bless my work and give me joy. <laughs> I hear uh, sometimes people say, man, my job just sucks. Okay? Curious, curious. You want God to bless your work? To give you joy? Hmm. God promises if you obey him over here, his promises promise that he'll bless your work and give you joy for it. Here's a couple verses. Proverbs 3, 9. Honor the Lord by giving him the, what, what part? First part of all your income. Not what's left over at the end of the month. I paid the bills. Do I have anything left over? Uh-uh. God will not honor that. Won't honor it. First part of all your income. Then your barns will be filled to overflowing. Your vats overflow with the finest wines. In fact, did you catch what Malachi said? Verse 10. Test me in this. Test me, God says. See if I will not throw open the floodgates of heaven and pour out so much blessing, there will not be enough room to store it. How many like to be in that spot? Kind of like a dog that just wants to jump all over you and get down, down blessings, down, down, get, away, get off of me, blessings. I mean, how, how do you like where the, the bank called again? We're over deposited. Oh, my word. What are we going to do? Deuteronomy 15 says this, give freely and give spontaneously. Don't have a stingy heart. The way you handle matters like this triggers God's blessing in everything you do in all your work. God responds to you. It's a conditional promise. Repeat, repeat after me. The secret of living is giving. Can we agree that there is just not enough joy in people's lives as you just walk around. Am I the only one who thinks that? Yet it's interesting, the average American, average American gives 1.5% of their income. Yeah, they keep 98.5, but they give the 1.5. And I wonder why so few people have joy in their life. Hmm, interesting. Acts 20 says this, Remember the words of our Lord Jesus himself who said, there is more happiness in giving than in receiving. You want more joy? <laughs> Bible says, 2 Corinthians, you will be enriched in every way so that you can be generous on every occasion and through us your generosity will result in thanksgiving, in joy in God. You can trust your Papa's promises. You can. Here's the third promise that God will do if if 
You trust him in generosity. Here it is. God will multiply my influence and my giving. Say that with me. God will influence my influence and my giving. I don't know if you caught Malachi 3.12. It says this. Then all the nations will call you blessed, for yours will be a delightful land, says the Lord Almighty. I don't know if any of you have ever thought that if you could go back anywhere in the Bible, anywhere in the Bible, and have just been there at that moment, that, man, I'd love to be there for just to see it. Have you ever thought that at all? I have. There's a number of them. You know what one of mine is? Feeding of the 5,000. Now, if you know the story, they all came out to hear Jesus talk. There's 5,000 men. doesn't include women and children. So actually about 15,000 people together. All listening. The disciples come to Jesus after a while because Jesus is on a roll. And he's just preaching. The disciples come and say, hey, listen, everybody's hungry. Uh, you need to send them back, which really means we're hungry. Would you send them away? I mean, that's what they were, I think, saying. And Jesus says, oh, feed them. And the disciples go, are you kidding me? There's 15,000 people here. We got nothing. He said, wait, wait, wait. We got nothing. Have you, are you sure? Have you checked out? Well, we haven't. Well, check it out and bring back. And so they checked out and they found a little boy. And what did the little boy have? A few loaves and a few fish, right? Here's what I think. It's also confession time. It's confession time for all of us. Okay, that's okay. Have you ever gone to an event that big sign says, no food admitted? but you got something in. It's confession time, a sporting event. Come on, raise your hand, it's confession. Okay. I mean, you snuck it in, and you got real creative how you snuck it in. I don't want to know. I don't want to know how you snuck it in, but you got creative. Here's what I think. 15,000 people. Nobody brought a granola bar? Are you kidding me? Nobody snuck any food along. I think a bunch of people snuck granola bars in there. But only one boy was willing to be generous. Everybody else said, no, this is mine. This is mine. I'm not sharing it. This is, this is mine. One little boy said, well, okay, if you want. And what did Jesus do with his gift? He multiplied it, not when it was in the boy's hand, but when it was given to Jesus' hand, Jesus multiplied it and fed everyone. And was there any left over? How much? Twelve baskets. I won't know this till I get to heaven. So I, this is me, my theory. Where'd the twelve baskets go? I wonder if they went to the boy. It was, it was his. Here, here's a fish gift. Okay, here's, here's twelve baskets left over. Bring them to your family. It was his. I don't know. We'll find that on heaven. But Jesus can multiply when you've given it. He can't multiply what you've never given. Any farmer understands this. You can only grow and harvest something what's been planted. That's what happens. 2 Corinthians 9.6 says this. Remember this. Whoever spares, sows sparingly will reap sparingly. But whoever sows generously will reap what? I... I uh, <laughs> I hear people say, well, when, when, I, when I get it, then I will. No, you won't. No, you won't. Money never changes anybody. Whether you have $100 or $100 million, it'll never change you. It just magnifies who you already are. 
It's interesting, there's a church that Paul talks about in Macedonia. They were in extreme poverty. They hardly had anything at all. Yet they heard of a need of other Christian brothers and sisters, and they begged Paul to give, if they could give. I want you to listen to it as I read it, 2 Corinthians 8. This is what Paul says. We want you to know, brothers, about the grace of God that has been given among the churches of Macedonia For in a severe test of affliction, okay, their poverty, their abundance of what? Of joy. And their extreme poverty. Are you kidding me? Extreme poverty and great joy in the same phrase? Uh Uh-huh. That's what God says. He says, overflowed in a wealth of generosity on their part. For they gave according to their means, as I can testify, and beyond their means of their own accord, begging us earnestly for the favor of taking part in the relief of the saints and this, not as we expected, but they gave themselves first to the Lord and then to the will of God to us. You've heard Pastor Keith say this a hundred times, if this isn't right, this isn't right. If I'm not giving, if I'm not being obedient to what God calls, it means this isn't right. That's all it means. A lot of times, People think again when I have it. I, I, I'm grateful that the people in Macedonia didn't keep what they didn't have from letting them give what they did have. And you might say, I, I got hardly nothing. It doesn't matter. What's your heart? Is it generous? Last story. 1886, a little girl, Hattie Mae Wyatt, was sitting outside a little church in Philadelphia, she was crying. Her her parents were very poor. Her clothes were very much hand-me-down, worn out. And when the young pastor saw her crying, he went over and said, what's what's going on? She said, I can't get into Sunday school. There's there's no, I can't get into Sunday school. I can't get into church. There's no room because it was packed. He also looked at how she was dressed and went, that might not be the only factor. He said, here, you come with me. And he let her in. And he got her a place in Sunday school. In church, there was no room, so he put her right beside the pulpit. And she sat there. That day, she heard him talk about the need for us as a church. We need to build a bigger building. We have to reach more people for Jesus, and we need to reach more children for Jesus. We don't have room. She heard him preach that. A couple months later, she died of pneumonia. At Hattie Mae's funeral... Her parents came up after the funeral and said to the pastor, we have something that we want to give you. It's hers. And it was a little red crumpled purse. And in it, he opened it up, and there were 57 cents. Today's doesn't even buy a candy bar. But there was also a note written in a scribbled form of a fashion from a little girl that said this, This is to help build the little church bigger so more children can go to Sunday school. That's all she had. He knew immediately what he was going to do with it. He took it that next day or the next week, Sunday, to the church and said, here's a story. We need to be to build a bigger church. We need to build so that people can come. And people responded. They started giving but it takes a lot for a little church. But then a newspaper heard of the story of Hattie Mae, and they printed the story. A realtor came 
to them and said, I have a parcel of land I think would work great for you and it would be perfect, but there's no way the church could afford it. They said, we can't afford it. He said, I'll sell it to you for 57 cents. Other people started responding so much to the fact that in five years' time, they had $250,000 that was raised, which was gargantuan that day. It all started with 57 cents. If you go to Philadelphia today, you can see Temple Baptist Church. It seats 4,600 people. It started with 57 cents. You can also go to Temple University, which has trained tens of thousands of students. That started with 57 cents. You can also go to the Good Samaritan Hospital. That started with 57 cents. It's not what you have. It's what God will do with what you have. He will multiply your influence and your giving. Here's what 1 Timothy 6 says. Use your money to do good and give generously, always being ready to share with others whatever God has given you. By doing this, you'll be storing up real treasure for yourself. It's the only safe investment for eternity. See, when you and I are obedient to God and we return back to God, we don't bring to God anything, it's his. We return back to God, what he says. God says, I'll take it and I'm going to multiply it, but they're going to withdraw it from that branch over there. That's where they're going to withdraw it. And so you're being generous over the last years. The people in Liberia, over 100,000 people that now have water, but it's beyond water because in those areas where that now have water because of the wells that you have dug, now they're showing the Jesus film and thousands of people are coming to know Jesus and we're planting churches there because it all started with your pennies. When we hear about an earthquake in Haiti, just even a month ago, and immediately through World Hope, we said, we have to respond, we have to respond. And out of your generosity, we sent $20,000 me. They said, we said, what's the need? They said, we need 10,000 for water. We sent them 20. And to hear Joanne Lyon talk this week, she was with us and say, what an incredible blessing that was when no one else could get water, they could get water, and it happened because of your generosity. You deposited here, they withdrew it there. This past few days, we had a church planter gathering and home church pastors, and we do that twice a year. Whenever it comes, I just basically cry through the whole thing to see what God is doing in the lives of people who've said yes and are willing to obey him. But to realize that last Sunday in Omaha, the church there baptized 17 people because you were generous here. They withdrew it from that branch there. People that you'll never meet, quite possibly, until you're in heaven. You'll meet him then. We talked about in Platte, South Dakota last month, 34, 35 people actually were baptized. Many of those people, you'll meet him in heaven. But then I think of my dear brother, Eliud, who I love with all my heart. He and his wife were part of the Celebrate family and God said, what are you, there's something I need you to do. And he shared, I think we're being called to go back to our home of San Rafael, Mexico and we're supposed to start a church there. We said, Eliud, let's do it, brother. Let's do it. And your generosity allowed to plant the seeds that was deposited into that ministry there. And the last nine years, uh, they've been hard, have they not, Elliot? In fact, the enemy tried to take him out uh, some months back through COVID. Didn't think he was going to make it. But God said, not done yet. Not done. 
And hundreds and hundreds and hundreds of people have come to know Jesus because of what you deposited in faithfulness there. God withdrew it and said, I'm going to bless that here. So do you want to see God's promises happen in you and in your next generations? Do you want to see God bless your work and give you joy? Do you want to see God multiply your influence and your giving? Trust your papa. You can trust your papa. Be generous. Father God, thank you that you were generous to us first, to the point that you gave everything. You gave your son. He gave his life. Nothing was held back. Dear God, forgive us when we think we own it, when we think it's ours. God, when we hold back from what's yours. God, I pray that we would be a generous people. In doing so, God, would you allow us to see thousands, tens of thousands, hundreds of thousands of people come to know you? Would you allow us to see hundreds of more churches planted? Hundreds of more people going into ministry full-time. Would you allow us to see that in our children, in our children's children, and beyond? Thank you for your incredible promises. You're a good papa. Well, thanks again for listening. To hear more messages like this one, make sure to subscribe and check out our podcast channel for past messages. And if you like what you're hearing, consider rating it and even sharing it with your friends. It helps so much. You know, you can click the share button, take a screenshot and share it on your social stories and tag us at Celebrate Church. For more content from Celebrate and to connect with us, go to celebrate.church. We love you and we believe in you. God bless.